Hello again, my friends, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the podcast. We have a very special guest with us here today, and she'll share some of the best books that she uses in her classroom, some that she wants to use, tips for engaging students, along with some fond memories she's had in her teaching career. This episode is packed with tons of value, so please feel free to share it with anyone that might find it helpful. Let's start the show. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Shining Scholar Education Podcast, where we talk about secondary English and language arts tips, strategies, and resources. We'll also share the ups and downs in the wonderful world of teaching. I'm your host, Charlie, and I'm a teacher creator here with Shining Scholar Education. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello again, my friends, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. This is a very special, special episode. We have the fearless English teacher, the one and only from Instagram that I found, and she was kind enough to join us here on this episode today. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Of course. The honor is all ours. And I was telling her briefly before we started recording that I couldn't believe she actually responded to our invite to be on the podcast. <laughs> so that was like a dream come true. I had to du do a double take and make sure I wasn't you know, <laughs> imagining things. So that's really awesome. Based on her Instagram, she is super passionate about teaching English. I believe she teaches high school. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And yeah. her pictures are all about books. Awesome idea. She has lessons and the way she's reached her kids. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just like a little intro. Um, I teach at a career center. So I teach high school English for 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. So they change our schedule every semester, every year. So the great part of that is that I feel like I'm a very strong teacher in all three subjects. So it really helps, I feel like, bring together a lot of ideas I have in complexity levels. I know how to challenge my younger students and um, really guide, especially my seniors, off into the real world, which is... Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what do you, what do you uh, like, notice more, especially a lot of listeners, I believe, are like first-year teachers or like just starting their career. What have you noticed like is the biggest difference between 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders? Um, I really love teaching. They're all so different. So teaching 10, 11, and 12, just maturity level is so funny between each grade level. Like the 10th graders, they are so usually off the walls with their energy. They're just excited to be there usually. Um, and my 10th graders, they're so fun with the energy they bring to my class. That's a class where I know that I can throw all of my engaging ideas like making Instagram posts and stuff like that. And those kids will just eat it up, especially if I'm able to connect with them and get them to trust me. That's where 10th graders are probably my favorite in that way. Um, but we'll see. Maybe after 20 years of teaching sophomores, I'll be like, okay, your energy is a little bit too much for me. <laughs> but for now, it's so fun. And then 11th graders, they are definitely more calm. They, I think they think they're cooler because... They're not the new kids in the school because our school's only 10, 11, and 12. So my juniors, I, I love having juniors that are a little bit more mature. And then I noticed that my seniors, which when I was initially started teaching, I was terrified to teach seniors. And I taught them my first year of teaching. And I wore heels every single day because I'm only 5'1". And I was just so scared. I was like, these kids are only like four years younger than me. I have a younger sister who's younger than them. They like, I feel like they can smell my fear. So <laughs> I was so scared to teach seniors, but they ended up being some of my favorite classes that I taught because they're so 
mature and they're just driven mm-hmm. at that point. Like they, of course, they're senioritis, but they know what they have to do to graduate and that's all they care about. So they sometimes end up being the most focused, which is nice. That's right. That's right. And if I could take a moment to give a shout out to all of those, if there are any, you know, high school seniors or older students listening to this, props to you and thank you for tuning in. (laughs) And a shout out to you guys doing it with jobs. And and a lot of times we've had, you know, young parents and they're juggling all these things and they're still doing what they got to do. So we as teachers notice that, guys, and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. And it seems like it seems like you have an endless supply of ideas. Judging by your Instagram, it seems like maybe you have too many. <laughs> Is it hard to choose what to focus on or how do you do that? It's so, I, so whenever I decide what I want to teach my students, um, I read, I have a process. So anytime I want to bring a new book into my curriculum, I first read the book totally uninterrupted, and then I just take notes as I go. So in all of my novel studies I create, um, for other teachers and for myself, I create unit plans that have a summary and a deeper analysis and then discussion questions. That way, Mm -hmm. because I can read a book like five times, but of course, when you actually are teaching it, it's harder to be able to go back in the book every single night to reread it to remember exactly what you're supposed to be talking about that day. So I always make a guide where I have like chapter by chapter, this is what happened, summary briefly, deeper analysis, what do I really want to talk to my students about? What do I really want to dig into? And then I use discussion questions as I go along for my own use, really. Um, But then from there, I take the key elements in the novel that I want my kids to take away from it. So, of course, there's the content I want them to grasp. There's all kinds of vocabulary. I always want them to grasp the new concepts. But ultimately, something that I wanted when I became a teacher was that I really wanted to give my kids life lessons, something out of any book, no matter how old it is, that you can take and make it relevant to their life now. Because that's how you get kids to care about stuff. If you hand them mm-hmm. like 1984, for example, um, since I was talking about that earlier with my seniors that I'm going to teach this year, if you teach it just straight from the book, you don't connect it to modern day, they'll be like, why are we even reading about this? Like there's no Big Brother Society. But then if you wrote, right. if you work hard to create activities that make sense to them and connect it to modern day, they can see all the different parallels. And then it makes it more interesting to them. And there's all kinds of concepts that they learn that they can address in their own lives based on books that we read. So I really create activities based on um, key core concepts I want them to learn from the book and life lessons. And then I try to make those activities something relevant to their lives that they would enjoy, um, I guess, really doing and then can think bigger about it. Mm, awesome. And have they drawn any any connections to their uh, lives or to real lives from 1984 that you can that just kind of stick out in your mind? Anything notable? Well, that's a new book, so I have not taught it yet with my oh. students. So, um, but I can think of. With my sophomores, one of my most memorable kind of discussions, I had learning stations with my students for the book Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, And I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if you've read that book or seen the movie, but it's just about this kid, Charlie, who has a lot of different mental health issues that he really suppresses. And he just kind of tells the story of his life 
through letters and it's very, very interesting to analyze. But I did this activity with my students called a blind quote analysis. And with that, um, I took six different uh, six different quotes from the chapter we were reading from. And I just put them in envelopes. And then I gave my students uh, this worksheet I created that has to do with like, what's the message of the quote? What's the context of the quote? And they just had to really analyze it deeper. And then from there, they had to pick one of the quotes. So one of the six that really spoke to them. So I chose some of my favorite quotes. Like one of the most popular ones from that book is, um, we accept the love we think we deserve. So I love to use that, especially with teenagers. Like I use them with my sophomores, like 15, 16 years old, where they think that their friendships and their significant others that they're dating are long-term and they don't realize, Mm -hmm. obviously, like once you grow up that a lot of that doesn't really matter anymore. But for them, when they're in it, they feel like it's so intense. So if they're having Mm -hmm. friendship problems or relationship problems, it's devastating for them and they have a hard time processing that. So one of my favorite things with this blind quote analysis I did with them. I remember there was a student who chose the book, uh, chose the quote, we accept the love we think we deserve as her main quote that she wanted to analyze. And then we worked in kind of stations for discussion after that. And I sat with them and I was like, so like what quote really spoke to you and why? And she just gave this whole narrative about how she's like, I feel like this quote just really made me take a look at my life and look at myself and really realize that I don't have high enough expectations for myself. And she had this whole revelation wow. and it was just so beautiful and I loved it. So I feel like that's really the power of what novels can do in a classroom setting. Right, right. That's a that's a deep introspective uh, you know, event to happen in your classroom. I can only imagine how yeah. rewarding that was for both both of you folks. Yeah, that's, it really that's was. Incredible. Those are the moments I fight for, you know, like I really want those moments in my classroom. (laughs) Right. And those kind of balance out a thousand negative moments. Right. Or is it right? That's how it is for me. It's like that one victory. It's like, yeah, all those other little battles. Yeah. You know, it was bad or negative or whatever. And then that one little thing. And that's like it outshines everything else uh, in the negativity. That's so true. Those are the little moments that keep us going through all the hard times. That's exactly right. And, and I'm a huge fan of quotes. Um, I'm always just, you know, I, I barely, I guess I barely say anything that's an original thought because I'm always quoting people <laughs> on this podcast. But I always feel I like you know, if they've said it much better than me, you know, uh, why am I going right. to stammer over a paragraph when they, you know, <laughs> uh, they just put it perfectly in one sentence, you know, and, and, and I think sure. that that's powerful uh, to pick just even single line quotes. Like, uh, what was it? You you get the love you think you deserve? Yeah. Yeah. We accept the love we think we deserve. Yeah. There it is. Just a, a handful of words. And it, it could be the catalyst for a, a thousand different ideas. And that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I love it, too, because it brings in all the different interpretations and perspectives that the world lives on. And then you can bring it into your English class and discuss it. Because who, like mm-hmm. maybe some students analyze that quote completely differently. They interpret it totally differently. So I, that's what I love about literature in general. There's so much you can learn from other people and the way that they perceive something that you perceive too. 
Right, right. No, and it's a beautiful thing. Have you ever read or, or heard about uh, Joseph Campbell's work on the monomyth and the hero's journey and all that? No. No, it's an incredible. This guy is a mythologist and he studied mythologies from all over the world, all cultures, and he found that they all have the same type of heroic uh, story structure. Like, you know, and he said George Lucas took it and made the Star Wars, you know, franchise because it starts mm -hmm. off with, you know, somebody that's challenged from his normal life. Then he finds a mentor, then he finds obstacles and he fails at first, but then he has a choice, you know, either sink or swim. And you got yeah. to, you know, and it's a beautiful, beautiful cycle. And I think, uh, through stories like you were saying earlier even though it's maybe a book set from an older time or like past generations modern times you know it, it's kind of like the same story being retold with different names different faces and yeah maybe the details are a little different but the human connection is still there and i think that's why you know the young people of today can still connect to these stories you know i completely agree yeah i love that i mean it's a beautiful thing i mean I, we could talk about books you know probably for hours <laughs> for sure uh, <laughs> And, and and I'd hate to digress from anything like that. Uh, does that lead you to anything else that you'd like to talk about? I feel like it kind of leads into your work with Dear Martin. Oh, yes. Dear Martin, um, especially with the huge uproar in the Black Lives Matter movement this summer, I just really sat back and reflected. And I was like, I feel like my role in this movement is the most powerful thing I can do is bring literature into my classroom from that are that's inspired from this movement. So I read Dear Martin, I thought it was perfect. And um, I'm actually teaching it to my sophomores and my seniors this year. So I'm really, really excited about it. I spent the whole summer just really deep diving into everything about the movement, everything about just racism as a whole in this country and how our society functions in it. And it's so eye-opening. And a lot of it I was already aware of. I've read a lot of, like, The Hate You Give and everything like that. Um, but Dear Martin just spoke differently to me because when I read it, I was like, this is something I feel confident taking into my classroom. And mm -hmm. it's hard, really. I had a hard time convincing myself that I was capable of being able to teach the concepts in this book well because I'm a white teacher and I live in a predominantly white area. Um, I live in Northwest mm -hmm. Ohio. So a lot of my students live out in the country and they have kind of some stereotypical views about it. But those mm -hmm. are the kids that I feel it's my duty to reach and just open their eyes about what's happening to people who are different from them. So that's what's like, it really, this movement um, the uproar in the movement this summer really gave me the courage to just research the best I can to do the best I can to teach this book because I owe it to the community and I owe it as an educator like this is my role where if I'm not going to do it who is going to do it for these kids right right and and that's a wonderful thing to kind of raise the consciousness level of these things that are going on you know that they might not have that much uh what's the word like um connection to or like personal connection mm -hmm. to because you know it's not their fault but if they're not around it they might not be aware of you know the things that are going on and the significance and the symbolism of them and and i think that that's a wonderful way of connecting them with current events and then connecting it to literature yeah thank you that's what my hope is so yeah i mean it's my first year teaching it i feel prepared 
I'm always worried that I'm going to make a mistake or a student is going to try to make it political and then it's just going to be hard to diffuse. But that's what I spent Mm -hmm. the summer preparing, that I'm ready for those moments. And I'm ready to make mistakes because it's okay to make mistakes in those kinds of conversations. That's the start of the conversation that's productive between a teacher and students. Right. So I'm I'm hoping it goes really well. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's something we face as educators, that sometimes the edgy, the dangerous stuff is where the learning really comes from. You know what I mean? It's like because the stakes are so high. It's kind of like there's a lesson to be learned. And and we all learn, even as teachers, you know, I I don't know if your students always kind of think that the teacher is like the know it all. And I'm telling them all the time, the things I fail, the things, um, you know, constantly trying to get better at don't think that just because we're up here that we're, you know, like, oh, I learned everything I need to learn and nothing else. I'm just going to pass on my knowledge. No, it's we're constant. The better, the best teachers, I think, are always students first. Exactly. I always try to be transparent about that, too. And I think especially with Dear Martin, it'll be the same thing where I'll be like, I have, I'm still learning. I, if you have any kind of useful opinion or um, suggestion, I would love to hear that because I, I don't know it all and I can research all I want, but I mean, it's, you're constantly growing as a teacher and I love that about teaching. And I think my students know that too, um, that I'm always mm-hmm. willing to listen to them and take their suggestions. That's great. And I think that's one of the, the best strategies for teaching is modeling that humility that we don't know everything. You know what I mean? And you're teaching us for as sure. much as we're trying to teach you, you know, for sure. Exactly. The amount of perspectives I've heard when we had classroom discussions, I think is fascinating. Like I think about um, every year that I teach the glass castle, I love teaching it because I learn so much from my students just in discussions where the book is a lot about um, Jeanette Walls. It's a memoir. I'm, I don't know if you've read it or not, but she, no, I haven't. No. Oh yeah. So she, she's amazing. I love her. It, the story is all about her life. Um, growing up in poverty, but her parents always made their crazy, crazy life together feel like it was an adventure. And so there's a lot of controversy with are her parents good parents or bad parents based on the decisions that they make for their children and their Mm -hmm. own personal demons they have, like alcoholism and mental health issues um, that Mm. are never really like dealt with. And it's just, it's super fascinating. And so for me, I come from a pretty stable life, like a middle-class kind of upbringing. So I do everything Mm -hmm. I can to really try to inquire with my students these questions of, can you imagine just moving every single month and sometimes not even having anywhere to live? You sleep in the desert. And I've had students who feel comfortable enough to share in the class be like, Actually, I was homeless for a while, and I see a lot of parallels between this story and my life. Or um, a lot of students will say, like, I my parents also suffered from some of the things that Rex and Rosemary Walls have been through. And while I have resented them, like, I've grown from that. Or even sometimes it's I've resented them, and I've moved out of my parents' house to create a better life for myself. So... I, that's the part of where I'm only one person and I chose to be a teacher, but that does not mean that I have all the different life experiences to fit into these stories that I teach my students. And 
that's why them being there and being a part of it is so powerful and impactful because they have all these different backgrounds and lives and goals for themselves that can contribute mm-hmm. to a really awesome classroom discussion. Right. And, and and the fact that they feel safe enough and comfortable enough to share that, you know, with, yeah. with everyone that I would imagine the sense of community is just, you know, through the roof. My gosh, it makes my day whenever a student feels comfortable enough to say anything personal about their lives like that. It just makes me feel like I did something right as a teacher that they feel safe enough to be able to offer up their personal life experiences. Because sometimes it can be painful for students to bring that up if they did come from a life that's hard and maybe they have grown out of it or maybe they're still in it. So it's, it's really special when they feel that they can share that with the class. Right, right. And I'll make sure to link uh, to these books that we were speaking about, Dear Martin and the Glass Castle in the show notes. Oh, so yeah. If any listeners want to check it out, uh, that sounds that sounds awesome. And and so what would you say is the biggest um, what, like attractive thing about the Glass Castle, would you say? Um, activity wise or like the concept? Yeah, yeah. Like, like lending itself for uh, the classroom. Um, I really pride myself in the novels that I teach. I think that they have a bigger life lessons in them where I really try to choose novels that give different perspectives from people who might be different from you. So Jeanette Walls, like she had the craziest upbringing, like I said, and maybe in a community of mostly middle-class students, although many are not middle-class, Um, It provides a different perspective for people because it's interesting to hear how other people live and other people grow up. And even if they don't, they can't relate to it or understand it, it at least makes Mm -hmm. them more perceptive to lives around them. So my goal is always, instead of being quick to judge people, um, to really be able to sit back and think, I wonder what they are going through right now. Um, And it's the same with Dear Martin about it just like really I care a lot about when my students graduate, I want them to just be self-aware and be aware of what's happening in the world around them and just being a good human. Like so much of literature and English class is humanity and building Mm -hmm. empathy for people other than yourself and not just being so quick to judge anyone who has a different life from yours. Like maybe there's more to the story. Right, right. That sort of cultural relativism that can be explored through books and, and reading and poetry. That's beautiful. And and I, I forget who, I'm pretty sure it was Stephen King. He said, fiction is the truth inside a lie. Yeah. And so I what that. I took that to mean, you know what I mean? Isn't that awesome? And like I said, I mean, oh, these guys, these, these authors, these writers just put it in words that you're just like, I don't even want to try to put it in my own way. You know, that's just perfectly <laughs> the way they said it. Exactly. And it reminds me of one, uh, I think my most passionate book that I've ever read and and I've recommended to students. Um, We haven't covered in class yet, but it's The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I don't know if you've read that one. I read it once when I was younger. I don't remember it as much anymore. I'll have to reread it. Oh my goodness. That one, man. And and I've given it to, you know, so many students and because what's pretty cool uh, from what I've seen uh, Paulo Coelho doesn't mind just giving off, giving away uh, PDF copies of his book. Like he pirates his own stuff, apparently. And his <laughs> publisher has gotten gotten onto him like, you know, these are sales or whatever. And he's like, I wrote this story. 
to tell the story, you know, not necessarily yeah, to sure. be making all, you know, all this money, which to me, I was like, wow, that's really cool for an author to say, but I've given it to several students and, and a few of them, they're like, oh, you know, it was good, but you know, I haven't finished it or whatever. But the ones that did finish, they were like, this is incredible because it's like a, it's like a fable and it symbolizes life. You know, all our concerns about fear, death, you know, love, yeah. being alone, belonging, all these things. And you just read it and I'm like, wow. And that's one book that I can read over and over and still kind of, and it sounds cliche to catch something every time, but I really feel like he packs so much into this, you know, book that it's like to, to take it at different levels is a beautiful thing. Oh, I love that. That kind of reminds me of Tuesdays with Maury. Have you read that? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, just... I, that book, in a way, it's so simple, just with how it's laid out and the authenticity of it. But it just makes me cry every single time because it's so beautiful. And the life lessons and the quotes that are involved, just really, it teaches you so much about life and death. And I think that it's so beautiful to, and like really like a lesson in that can be like, talk to people who know more than you talk to people who have who are older or have different life experiences from you and see all that you can learn from others but that's it kind of right. reminds me of what you were saying about how powerful a book can be with all of the different kind of details and storylines in it yes that's exactly right and do you do you have a specific method of reaching kids? Let's say, you know, I can't imagine a student not being engaged in your class, honestly, but let's just say, oh, sure, you know, hypothetically. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, I really try to plan my lessons based on what I think that they would enjoy. So I really focus a lot on student relationships and I care about that more than content a lot of the time. So if mm. I feel like my class maybe like is really tense or like kids are having a bad day and it's just kind of rubbing off on everyone else or especially in the winter months in Ohio, it gets depressing. So I really kind of try to mix up the narrative of what an English class will look like. Um, but mm -hmm. to try to engage my students, I focus on the relationship. So I think I try to learn at least one kind of intimate detail about a student that is not super surface level. And then I use that to guide my instruction. So like, for example, in one of my English classes last year, I always teach transcendentalism. I teach, um, you know, about living in a cabin in the middle of the woods and like not having electronics and all that stuff. Um, but last mm -hmm. year, I had a class of all welders, and well, mostly welders. And welders are extremely hands-on. So if you remember, I work at a career center. I teach English there, so which is really, really cool. But um, mm -hmm. the welders, so they love hands-on activities because it's what they do in their labs, and it's what they want to do with their lives. So instead of trying to read them all these, which we do analyze short stories at the same time and like stuff like that, but... Um, I made our final project a tiny house project because I thought that that would be interesting to them. So instead of just having them kind of just read and answer some questions along the way, I really focused on this idea of you're going to get to create your own tiny house with transcendentalism values. So they got so excited about it. I showed them an episode, I think it was on Netflix, of like the 
uh, Tiny House Movement. I can't remember exactly what the show was called, but we watched an episode and they were like, why do people live in these tiny houses? Why wouldn't you want a big house? And so we really read some articles about it. We talked about the financial aspects of it and also the fact that you can be one with nature a lot of the time. People who live in tiny houses a lot of the time like to travel. They like to be out in the middle of nowhere. So Mm -hmm. it was so cool for them to then at the end of this unit, they created a final project uh, where they could actually build their own tiny house, either electronically or uh, through a building website, or they could create their own on a poster, or they could actually build their own out of their own materials. So it was so much fun, and they had a blast with it. And then we were able to connect it to transcendentalism uh, based on all the different key elements that went into the project. Like it had to be based on environment and um, environmentally friendly plans. Like, And some students mm -hmm. are like, I could add a compost toilet. And I'm like, you go for it. <laughs> so um, it was it was just it was really, really cool. So I think that the way that I try to engage my students most is really reading the class and seeing how they would most enjoy literature. And then um, mm -hmm. something else that I just thought of this year that I threw into my Dear Martin unit I was thinking about, um, because my younger sister, she just finished her senior year in high school, and she just always has been talking about how she wants a tattoo. And I think that it's so funny because I'm like, I feel like when you're an adult, like people don't care as much about tattoos, but and in terms of like, oh, wow, like I really want to get this tattoo and oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's such a teenage thing to really want a tattoo because you need parent consent and it's harder to do and it's just trendy. <laughs> and so I was uh -huh. like, you know, what would be so funny is if in Dear Martin, um, I use it for some sort of life lesson for character analysis. So at the end of the book, I have uh, one of my final activities. Um, there are two characters. I use Justice and Jared. They're super, super different, but they changed a lot through the novel. So at the end, mm -hmm. I'm asking my students to create, based on this Instagram template that I made, um, they have to create an Instagram template from the perspective of either Justice or Jared. And then we're pretending that they got a tattoo after they learned all these different life lessons throughout the book. And it has to be a really like deep life lesson. Like what is something that is so deep? What is a deep life lesson that you want to tattoo it on your body? Like that's how much it has changed you as a person. So in the activity, we're pretending that one of the characters of your choice got a tattoo and then you have to actually design it on the Instagram post. So it's like a little shoulder that you have to then draw the tattoo, which is symbolic because they're going to have to draw some sort of symbol. And then in the caption, they have to explain why the character got this tattoo from the character's perspective, which I think is always cool because you're putting yourself in the character's shoes, which makes you just think deeper right. about it. So right, right. I'm definitely not a wizard. I definitely have students who are still not engaged in my classroom or they'll have days where they're on and days that they're off. But I know that I'm always trying my best to reach those kids, which is good enough for me. Wow. I mean, talk about uh, differentiation. You, I mean, you reached those <laughs> welders. It sounded like you spoke their language and you really got them hooked, you know? And I think, I think that's a skill that, um, not to speak ill of any educators, but I think that's a skill that 
I don't know, it comes with time or training or maybe it's a natural gift, but to be able to think on your feet like that, you know, I, I don't think <laughs> that's you. a very common trait. You know, that's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's almost like you're, you're, you're really an edutainer. You know, you've heard that word in a magician. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, you're pulling flames and doves and yes. some people are like, eh, you know, some students are, eh, you know, it's okay, you know, not bad. <laughs> and you got to really kind of find, you know, how, how to hook them in, but that, that's awesome. That sounds, and, and not Thank only that, you. but the it sounded like you brought in some biology and science related things, some cross curricular, yes. you know, across yeah. all things. And that, that's amazing. I mean, that's pretty cool. You can come <laughs> up with, you know, such a, a great idea. And, 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 and I've heard some other teachers say, you know, the biggest challenges are my biggest rewards because not only do I have to think on my feet, but it's like, okay, how much can I really, you know, how good do you, do I think I am versus how good I actually am, you know, and they said, exactly. they kind of showed me that I thought I had this, you know, in the bag and no, there's still kids throwing, you know, curveballs and, and I'm sure. having to figure them out. So that's, yeah. that's really awesome. And it's funny because I always like, I really have been kind of this way of just, I feel like I try so hard all the time to engage my students. Like it's almost kind of a funny thing with my teacher friends where they think I'm so over the top, but I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> and like one of my mentors, she has talked to me before when I've come into her room after a long day where I tried really hard with an activity I thought my kids would love and it totally flopped. And I just go and sit and I'm like, I really wanted this to work out well. And I feel like the kids didn't like it. And I just feel like my time isn't appreciated. And I worked so hard. And you know, you have those moments mm -hmm. as teachers. And she's always like, mm -hmm. Allie, you can stand in front of your kids and do a bunch of cartwheels. And probably there will still be at least one that won't care. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there's still humans and teenagers. And you, it's just so important to remember as teachers that you can't always please everyone. But if you can even right. please at least one kid in there, like one kid is like, oh, that was cool. Like I may be too cool to ever admit that that was a cool activity. I'm just going <laughs> to sit here and think that was pretty cool. And for me, that's enough. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they really they're the they're the kings of understatements, aren't they? Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they're like saying, "Hey, you're all right." When they're really trying to say, "Hey, you changed my life, and I love you." Oh my oh, gosh, okay, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> I even one time got a, a Christmas card from a student, which I love when they make me stuff. But it was this one kid who really did not seem interested in my class at all. But um, he ended up making this Christmas card for me. And he said something like, Hey, I'm really going to miss your class this year. Um, I'm really sad that English is only half a year and math is a full year because I hate math and English is all right. And to me, I like hunted <laughs> up on my bulletin board. Like it said yes. really like next to nothing. But to me, I was like, yes. And I hung that yes. up on my bulletin board. <laughs> That means a lot. That means a lot, especially with that population, you know, and I, and I think an eye opening experience I had uh, just a quick aside, you know, it, it was a kid and he was like he had a constant growl. I mean, just like a, a frown. I'm sorry. He's just, you know, just scowling all the time. And but, you know, I was like, that's his personality. Let me just, hey, I mean, right. you, you know, you know, just let me know. And uh, the principal saw him one morning and he was passing my class and and the kids like, sup, sir. And he kept going. And the principal was like, he talks to you? And I said, well, I mean, like he'll say like that. He was like, he hasn't said two words to anybody else. And I was like, wow, really? So even just that sup, sir, was, you know, something. something. I love that. Right, <laughs> right, right. You want to win them over. 
Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I remember um, sometime in the near past, there was a, there was something or other we got on tattoos. And, and I think the funniest, I, I swear some of my kids are going to grow up to be stand up uh, comics because mm-hmm. this, it seemed like it was just like off the cuff. He was like, well, I'm thinking about getting one that says mom, you know, and everybody's like, ah, that's so old and blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, no, no. Because when I raise my arms, it's going to say, wow. <laughs> and we were like, wow you really put some thought into that yeah he's like i could be at a concert and it's like wow and then i'm sitting having dinner with my mom and it's all about mom (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing i love that (laughs) isn't that funny the things they come up with i'm like yes feed that creativity you know what i mean yes i love it too because stuff like that it keeps you young it keeps you like you know life doesn't have to be so serious all the time you know when you're older you start to get set in a routine and then a kid will say something like that. And you're like, okay, I just thank you for that. Like you really just showed me to, <laughs> it does not have to be that serious. <laughs> right, right. Can you think of any other uh, really funny or, or memorable moments in your teaching career? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. I feel like my kids make me laugh all the time. Um, I can think <laughs> of one of my favorite days with my students, one of the most meaningful days, which it sounds so simple. But I was with one of my classes, and we were supposed to read our next section of The Glass Castle, actually. And it was a Friday, and I remember it was snowing really bad outside, and everyone was just, like, wanting to be home. And I could just sense that the mood was not there for the day. So Mm -hmm. I was standing up in front of my kids. I was getting ready for us to start reading together. And I told them, I was like, you know what? Everyone go ahead and get up and push your desks and your chairs off to the sides of the room. Like just push everything out of the way. And so we have this big space in the middle of the room. All the chairs and tables were up or desks were up against the walls. And I bought these tea lights, like 50 tea lights or something, uh, just to have for like escape rooms and fun stuff like that whenever I want the room to model a certain vibe. And so I told the kids to get their books and just sit in a circle on the floor And some of them would like lay on their stomachs. Some of them just sat and I put the tea lights in a circle around everyone. And then I plugged in, I have these cute little bulb lights in the back of my room. I plugged those in and then I turned on a campfire on my projector and it just felt like such a cool environment. And we just sat and I was like, I just want to read like this today. I hope everyone's okay with that. And they're like, Oh my gosh, yes, that sounds so fun. And so We sat there and we read and discussed. I did not have them do any kind of study guide. I did not have them do any kind of pop quiz after or an activity, nothing. Like we literally just sat and read authentically together and discussed. And it was probably one of my favorite moments in my teaching career because I think that so much of teaching English has to do with jumping through all these different hoops, like preparing for tests, preparing for this, preparing students for college or the career Mm -hmm. of their choice. Mm -hmm. When really it's like, sometimes it's so nice just to step back and remember that we're there to build connections with our students and hopefully get one of them to just want to read sometimes, like to just sit and relax and enjoy reading. So Mm -hmm. for me, that was something that was so memorable that, I hope to do it again in the future because I had kids after that say, in my whole high school career, I've never had an English class go like that today. And it was so relaxing and I just loved it. Um, So, I mean, 
that's not super funny or anything. It was just when you said memorable. That's what it made me think of. Right. But my kids no, make me laugh that's an all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> no, that's just no, what yeah. I thought of. That's a beautiful memory. And I can guarantee you that those kids reflect back on that moment and still recall it, you know, fondly. And I'm, and I bet it warms their hearts, you know, to not only break routine, but to have that connection with with someone in a position of authority, you know, with a teacher, because, you know, I've heard and I'm sure you've heard uh, a lot of times that they're like, oh, I'm used to teachers being like this and, and you're not like that and or whatever, exactly, you know, just even yeah. little things. And, and that's an amazing thing to kind of break the mold of what they think the uh, teacher is or should be. That's so true. I love to when my students, um, like I knock on wood, I usually don't have an issue of earning my students respect. And I think for a lot of students, that's hard to earn. And I've noticed that even with some of my older students are the ones that have the most of kind of an attitude, I can usually mm -hmm. gain their respect. And one time um, this past Thanksgiving, I saw on someone's teacher Instagram, I can't remember who it is. I wish I could for a shout out, but they wrote on, they wrote um, for what they're thankful for, for Thanksgiving that year. They wrote down mm -hmm. every single of their students' names on this poster and said, I'm thankful for uh, like Sam's cheerfulness, um, Jennifer's enthusiasm and went through every single student and I was like, I ended up was, I was like, I feel like that would be so cool because I had a few classes that year that I just loved. Mm -hmm. We teach in block classes. So we only have three classes, 90 minutes each. And I was like, I love my students this year. I'm going to do this. And so I spent probably like an hour or so making these posters. And then I hung them up on the wall for when my students came in and they just raised their hands like because I didn't address it because it's kind of awkward. I don't want to be like, hey, look at this thing I did for you guys. Um, <laughs> so like right. I started talking about the lesson for the day and a student raised their hand and was like, Miss Satz, are you like just going to ignore everything that's behind you right now? Like all of your like really sweet stuff that you wrote about us. And so I was like, okay, do you want me to read oh. it? And you're like, yes, read it. Oh. And so I went through and I read everyone and a student was like, Miss Stats, I just have to say, like, you did not have to do that. And the fact that you did really shows how much you love us. And I just really appreciate that because I've never felt like that with another teacher before, that they really genuinely love us. And wow. something else that I've heard before from students is, that I think is really interesting, especially for, like, first-year teachers who might be listening, who think that you have to have this kind of persona of you're really tough, you can be kind of cold and mean because you want to establish respect between your students. I think that mm -hmm. is a way to go in terms of you need to put your foot down. But what I've learned as a teacher is that if you treat a student like they're an adult, they love that. And I've had a student mm -hmm. say it before, like my sophomores, because they are young, they're 15, 16 years old, but I talk to them like they're adults. And I've had a student tell me before, like I, I feel like we all connect as a class well, because you talk to us like we are adults, even though we're only teenagers. And so that's wow. something I've really learned just based on what students tell me is that even if you don't think a 15-year-old can handle kind of a bigger conversation or certain responsibilities, if you put that on them, they usually rise to the occasion. And then they appreciate mm -hmm. you for it. They respect you for it, for treating them like they're older than they might be. Right, right. Wow. There's so much 
to unpack there. I feel like I know. Sorry, I just like talking. No, 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 (laughs) no. It's it's a great it's a great thing. Like I'm just thinking. I don't know if you've read. No, the reason why is because I just finished reviewing uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I don't know if you've ever read that book. No, I haven't. I've been wanting to read it. But I have not read it I don't it think yet. you have to read it. I don't think you need to read it because you pretty much, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yep, she's got that and that one. That's number four. That's number five. Literally, because I just reviewed it yesterday because I'm, you know, I, I think all, all of us as teachers, we kind of want to be on top of our game. And so I was reviewing yesterday and I was, uh, I'm planning on making an episode outlining it just for teachers, you know, just the oh, way I've awesome. kind of grown from it. And I've really, I was checking them off as you were saying it. I was like the emotional bank account <laughs> you're depositing before you're withdrawing. You're being proactive because you're saying, you know, you're stating your expectations and and they're rising to the occasion. Whereas I think a lot of teachers and not to speak ill of anybody, but like if they'll start like, okay, you're, you're at zero, you need to earn the hundred versus what it sounds like how you're approaching is that you're at a hundred and where you go from here is up to you. Yeah, that's so true. Right. Yeah. And and so I'm thinking, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, just to kind of also level with, because when I came out of college, I already felt that this is who I was as a teacher. This is what I wanted. I wanted these strong relationships with students. And I also wanted to be authentic about the fact that my first year of teaching was very difficult with, I had a really hard time disciplining. So if this is also like for the first year teacher who might be listening to this and thinking Mm -hmm. like, oh, I just have to treat them like adults and they'll respect me and it'll be super easy. Or like, I can just be kind to students, it'll be super easy. I had a lot of growth between my first and second year because I realized that I worked so hard at school on making sure that my students were doing well, they're being successful. And to the point that I was really kind of exhausting myself because I felt like I was working harder on those problem students to help them succeed than they were trying to help themselves. And I had a really hard time disciplining students because I hated being the mean teacher. I hate making people feel bad or feel like they're less than me or anything like that. And so I let kids Mm -hmm. kind of not like get away with things that were bad, but I should have been stricter. So it's such Mm -hmm. a fine line and a balance that you have to work on. And for me, how I really dealt with that... um, between my first and second year, I was like, I was exhausted at the end of my first year. And I feel like students who wanted to take advantage of me knew how to take advantage of me. And it's not fair. So I actually read this book about setting boundaries. And the, and a lot of it related to like family, your relationship with your significant other, and then work. And a lot of it was about coworker relationships and stuff like that. But I really worked hard to apply it to the classroom. And I read this book. I took a lot of notes about how I can apply it to my classroom. And it totally made me change the way I think about discipline. Because before this, I thought about um, I'm not being understanding enough if I, ca- if I hand a kid a detention for something they said or did that was wrong. Or if a student fights back with me, maybe I need to just listen to them more. When really it's like, no, you're the teacher, you're in charge. You have a right to put mm-hmm. your foot down and that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. And if they cross your boundaries like that, they need to be put in their place. So I really learned mm-hmm. to look at discipline from an act of love because students need structure and they will always test the boundaries. And you, 
a lot of students actually thrive on discipline. Like they, they will flirt with the boundaries, but they right. feel safer if you are put in your place and they see that other students are too, that they don't get away with stuff. So um, I really worked hard on my second year and I told my students, like I just was very honest with them. I was like, look last year, because we have repeat students sometimes as they, as they go to different grades um, and we change grade levels too. So I had some Mm -hmm. students who were sophomores and then the second year I had them again as juniors and I said right in the beginning, I was like, look, if you knew me last year, I am still the same loving Miss Stats. But I have to be honest, I read this book about boundaries and I cannot be working harder for your success than you are. And you have to respect me if I say that you need to sit a few plays out here or take a detention or go to the office. There's no fighting back with that. So even though I'm still the same teacher, I am a lot harder on this year, harder on you this year. But it's because I love Mm -hmm. you guys and I want you to be the best versions of yourself. And I'm trying to teach you how to do that. So just for, you know, like it took me a long way to get to be where I am now and trying to find the balance. And I still struggle with discipline and stuff like that. And that's how I know I probably won't be an administrator one day, but you never know. (laughs) But um, like just to say that it's such a balance. And if you are a first year teacher and you feel like you're too strict or you're not strict enough, you'll figure it out. Right. No, no. And I think that's a key distinction that, that needs to be made. And I hope I didn't uh, gloss over, uh, you know, the, the serious uh, disciplinary things that we have to deal with as teachers. And I've, I, you know, certainly from my first year to, to now, I think we've all grown and that's a great thing. I For think sure. one of the key takeaways that I've learned is, is tact, because I feel like a lot of times during trainings or, or you know, just uh, mentor teachers, they'll say, you know, don't smile until Christmas. Yeah, you, know, you so can either be true. their friend or don't smile till Christmas. And I remember thinking it can't be that type of fallacy where it's like either A or B. Uh, logically, <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? There has to be something. And I remember uh, a kid was like, man, and, and, and it came from a sixth grader that I had in alternative school. And he said, and I just remember I was like, yes, that's exactly what I was going for. He was like, man, sir, you're like, you're like cool, but strict. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And he was, he was like, like, you'll joke around with us. But as soon as we cross that line, bam, he's like, but you like, you're still nice. Like you'll write us up and like smile and say, do better tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm oh like, my gosh, what? I would love if a student told me that. I'd be like, yes, I made it. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, you know, we all have our good days and bad days. And that could have just been a fluke. Like, hey, I was, you know, I was less horrible than I am every other day or whatever. But I remember thinking, and I, cause, cause I had a mentor teacher that told me that don't smile until Christmas or you're going to wear yourself right. out. And if you want to last in this career field, you know, do this and don't be their friend and bring the hammer hard. And exactly. I remember thinking there has to be a, a tactful way of still being strict. And, and, you know, and I kind of developed this way of, I don't know if you've ever read, I'm big on self-improvement books. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's, yes. <laughs> it's how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Oh, that's on my list. I really want to, I, that's oh literally God. like my next guy right now. It's on the top of my list. <laughs> if there were, if there were ever a book on life lessons, that book is incredible. I started you know, because I used to be in sales before I got into teaching and then I applied it and I was like, this is just how to deal with people. It literally, you know, how to build better relationships. And and one of the things he says in there is like, uh, be kind and be tactful. Think win-win. You know, it's not about yeah. you being right. It's not about them being wrong. Try to come up with a thing. And, and I remember I would tell the kids, look, 
I have rules to follow. If I speed and I get a speeding ticket, does it make sense to get mad at the officer? No, he's just doing his job trying to keep everybody else safe. I'm the one that was speeding and I knew the consequences. And so once I was kind of explaining like that and saying, you know, if I show up late to work or I'm dressed, you know, casually, my principal, our boss has every right to say, you know, when you sign the contract, this is what we agreed upon. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. And so I would tell him that too. Our contract, even if it's just verbal, is I'll help you learn as much as I, I can but you have to put in the effort. I can open the door, but I can't make you walk through it. You know, I love that, you know, kind of building that relationship was like, Hey, I'll help you, but you got to kind of try to, you know, meet me halfway. I'm bending over backwards here. Just like you said, burning yourself out and all that. And you know, it's not fair. Exactly. I love the way you put it too, in terms that they will understand because when you put it that way, it's like, oh, that's extremely logical and reasonable. Like (laughs) you're right. I don't have a reason to get mad at you. (laughs) I'm throwing something across the room and I get in trouble for it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, you know, try to empathize with them. Like, look, imagine if this was being done to your little sister or you had a sibling and somebody else in that student's classroom was acting that way. Would you, you know, would you be happy with that? And a lot of them are like, no, of course not. You know, so once you can kind of connect with them. But one thing I've really had to, I think we all kind of struggle with teachers as a balance is uh, controlling our emotions in that moment. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I feel because sometimes it can feel like, oh, no, I was going to say, I completely agree with that. Because I remember one time when I was a student teacher, I was just so happy go lucky all the time. And I was having a really hard day because I had to discipline someone about copying off someone else. And I just was in a really bad mood. And I was showing students um, how they should be citing their resources on the board. And I turn around Uh and this kid is like leaning back in his chair and talking to the kid behind him. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, Jameson. And he literally looked like he saw a ghost. And I was like, how disrespectful. (laughs) You know, I'm up here trying to help you and you're not even listening. And it was something that like, you know, that happens all the time with teenagers and that's not a normal reaction for a teacher. But I just was like in Uh such a mood and I was just a student teacher. So, you know, usually like everyone wants to be friends with the student teacher, but this kid tested me and I was so frustrated by it. And so afterwards, Mm -hmm. um, I had a talk with him and I was like, I'm really sorry that I reacted like that. That was not okay for me to respond that way. But do you understand why I was so frustrated? And we were able to have a conversation about that. But yeah, exactly. And that's something you learn as you grow as a teacher is how to manage those emotions when students may act out in some mm-hmm. way. And it just gets easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like that you you were able to uh, apologize to a student because I know a lot of teachers don't want to lose that power struggle. For you know, sure, or they yeah. might, They're not comfortable with it, but I think that goes a long way you know, being able to connect with your student and, and, and say you're sorry, you know, and, and, and call out your own mistakes. I think that that definitely models like a growth mindset. It, yeah, I completely agree. And it goes back to student relationships. It shows that we're human too, and we're not perfect all the time. <laughs> right, right. And I think that ties into the other question I had for you was, what advice would you give to yourself in your first year of teaching? Oh, that's such a good question. I think that and it could be more than one thing. I'm sure you've right. you've grown so much. I I do feel like I've grown so much. I think that mm-hmm. I have learned kind of what I said about setting boundaries. That was a huge life lesson for me that I had to learn the hard way. 
Um, I learned to stop taking things home with me. I would have, um, mm-hmm. I had a really, really hard um, D block is what it's called. Our last block of the day, my first year of teaching mm-hmm. where they were just the rowdiest group and I had the hardest time controlling them. And every single day I took that home with me and I felt like I was a failure because it was chaotic. And I was just upset every single day to the point where it ruined my whole night. So that was something wow. where I learned. I was like, I really need to A, figure out how to control this insane class. <laughs> B, let like forgive myself. I'm learning too. And I shouldn't have to take stuff home when you should leave at 4 p.m. Like I shouldn't have to take these things home and let it be my mm-hmm. life where I'm just really <laughs> upset about it all the time. So Um, I really try to teach myself to have grace with myself and that I'm trying the best I can. And um, I hope that, you know, other first year teachers, if they go through the same thing, that they learn to kind of advocate for themselves and like go home when they should, you know, like the work Mm -hmm. will always be there tomorrow. You don't have to stay till 7 PM. Like I did way too many times. Um, (laughs) And really like, like I said, like, I think it's so much about just building those relationships with students, but setting boundaries uh-huh. and being strict about, like, I deserve to go home right now. And I deserve to not have to think about what happened at school today. I'll deal with it tomorrow. That kind of thing. Right. Right. And sometimes that's the most intelligent thing to do, to put it down and just deal with it another day. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. Sometimes. And it's even just in life. If something happens and it totally sends you on a whirlwind of emotion. Sometimes you do just need to step back and let yourself take a break from it. And then you can approach it when you feel a little bit better and realize that it was not that severe as you thought it was. And it's totally like a manageable problem that you just need to figure out. And it's just, it's so much easier to step away from something and let yourself kind of breathe and then come back to it. Right, right. That perspective, that perspective. And so when did you realize you wanted to be a teacher? Was there a specific moment or was it just kind of came about or? So I have always wanted to be a teacher since I was little. Um, My mom, she was a third grade teacher growing up. So my twin sister and I actually went to the elementary school that she taught at. So every morning and after school, when we were waiting for my mom to finish up what she needed to get done, we would play in her classroom and play school and stuff like that. And even in my family's basement at home, um, my parents set up a little classroom for us. So I have the funniest memories of me being the teacher and my two sisters sitting in student desks and listening to my lessons. And I remember (laughs) they would just get so annoyed with me because I'd want them to work on worksheets after my lesson I gave them. And then they would act out and be like, oh, we don't want to do this, Miss Stats. And then I would just like kind of be like, oh, let me put this teaching aside. Can you guys please behave? Like you're being really annoying right now. (laughs) And it's just so funny because now it's like that's real life, except you have to tell the students like, hey, this actually is real. And can you stop being your normal self of just being really sassy right now? So um, I've always always wanted to be a teacher. And when I was in high school, I joined a career tech program for future teachers. And then I didn't know what type of teacher I wanted to be. I didn't know if I wanted to do elementary or middle school or high school. Um, But towards the end, I Mm -hmm. knew I really wanted to work with older kids because I feel like 
that is the group where so many adults are like, oh, how do you ever work with teenagers? Like they are so sassy. (laughs) They are ungrateful and all this stuff. And I'm like, I mean, sometimes, but they're teenagers, like they're adolescents, they're growing, they're in a vulnerable stage in their lives. And they're in a pivotal point in their lives. And sometimes they don't have role models to guide them towards a bigger life for themselves, something like going to college or finding a trade or career. And that was something that was so impactful to me is that we as teachers, high school especially, have the power to take those kids who may be lost and just give them a little bit of guidance and support and push them into a totally different life than they envisioned for themselves. Something that may, you know, if they came from a hard home life and they never thought that they could be someone someday, you have the power to show them how amazing they are and that they are capable of being someone successful. So to me, like those are the reasons why I stayed like that got me into teaching, but this is why I stay is that power of being able to touch kids who may not have someone in their lives to do that for them. Man, that's powerful. That's that's beautifully said. I mean, and, <laughs> and I you. hope you're you're. Uh, have you ever been asked to mentor somebody like formally a, a newer teacher or anything like that? No. Well, I had taken some student teachers and stuff. Um, but you're at my school. You're yeah. not allowed to take a student teacher um, until mm-hmm. I think year five of teaching. So. Um, oh, okay. I, so I haven't been able to be like a mentor mentor, but I take in kids who are doing college experiences, that kind of thing. But <laughs> that's awesome. So how long have you been teaching? If you don't mind me asking? Oh, no, this is actually going to be my third year. So I've been at the wow. school. Yeah, I've been at the school for four, going to be my fourth year because the school I teach at was the school I student taught at. And then I just got really mm-hmm. lucky where there was a job position open and I applied for it and got it. So I was super excited. It was right before my college graduation when I found out that I got the job. So it was such a huge relief that I knew that I had a job right out of college. So I've been there for going wow. on my fourth year. And I'm sorry for my reaction. The only reason, uh, you know, not in a negative way, I'm just blown away that you grew that much in that amount of time. I've been doing this for <laughs> 12 you. years and I feel yeah. like I'm barely kind of realizing like, okay, this is what I need to be doing. But wow. Yeah. Wow. I, so my there's no telling where you'll be in 10. I know. It's, I'm sorry, it's exciting. <laughs> oh, no. I was going to say like, it's just funny because if like my students, they ask every single year how old I am and for the most part, like I've been there uh-huh. a few years now, so they know me. A lot of them know, and they know what kind of teacher I am. But, you know, that first year of teaching, they looked at me, and they're like, how old even are you? Like, are you even qualified to be teaching? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, um, yes, oh, actually, funny. I have my degree. Thanks so much for your concern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so, so funny. Yeah, so even like going oh. into my third year, I feel so much more confident. Like if a kid asks me how old I am, I won't tell them, but I'll be like, look, I'm old enough, okay? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> wow, so it really sounds like the teaching was like in your blood, like that was your destiny from a young age. I think it was. Yeah, and it's it's definitely interesting to see like I don't know where my life will go from here I don't know if because I'm in the point in my career where I'm thinking about my master's and I'm at a kind of weird path where I'm deciding do I want to be a counselor do I want to keep teaching and just get my master's and 
something different? Would I want to be a college professor? It's such a hard point in your life where you need to think logistically of like, what's my next move? And it's hard because I'm happy mm-hmm. where I am now. So, but it's like, will you be happy 20 years from now as a teacher? Like, what will the world even look like? No one could have ever expected it would look right. like what it does now with COVID and everything. So it's just, it's right. really interesting as a teacher. You're constantly thinking about what is your next move? <laughs> right, right. And and I think that's a, that's a beautiful kind of, it's a bittersweet problem to have, right? There's so many possibilities, sure. but at the same time, there's so many like, unknowns right absolutely i wanted to also kind of have you reflect on your teaching like uh those meaningful books that you've chosen uh and and in your past experience has there been anything that uh really resonated with your kids in terms of life lessons or anything that they really took away that was like at a really deep level of learning um yeah i i really try my hardest to make everything i teach really so um, kind of like I said before, even if it's not something that they have gone through themselves, they can hopefully learn to understand those around them a little bit better. Um, so thinking about Perks of Being a Wallflower, because that one is so, it's it's a very deep novel. And it's, even though it's kind of an easier read, um, the the concepts are more complex for students. It's it has a lot about mental health and um, like sexual abuse and stuff like that. So it they're very heavy topics, but I choose to teach it to my students every year because if that is something that they're dealing with, and so many of my students are open about their mental health issues, which I love and that's something I celebrate in my class. But I want them to know that they're not alone and some life lessons I really like to look for in that book, of course, is showing my kids that they are never alone wherever they're at in life. And if they are in a hard time in their lives, there's light at the end of the tunnel, um, just like the end of Perks being a wallflower. And just life in general, it's it's hard when a kid comes to you crying about like getting dumped or something like that. And you're trying to tell them mm-hmm. like, you're only 15 or 16 years old. I promise this probably won't even impact you three months from now because they don't see it that way. Like their lives are so intense with the emotions that they're feeling at that age that they think that one bad thing that happens is set in stone for the rest of their lives. So um, with Perks of Being a Wallflower, I really try to show them what healthy friendships and relationships look like because That's something that I've really noticed about teenagers, especially, is that they can't decipher between what's healthy and unhealthy behavior in relationships, Mm -hmm. especially. Like, I've had students come to me and say that they're afraid that their significant other is going to walk into the room and hurt them. And I'm like, you shouldn't have to feel that way, though. Like, that's not healthy behavior. So that's something Mm -hmm. like when they're younger like that, I really try to teach them lessons of what you deserve. And that's not like a standard in English, you know, that's not something we're supposed to teach them, but it's something that's so important to me that if they can recognize what they need or deserve in life, then that is my goal is that they can see a relationship that's not healthy and maybe put a stop to it. Um, Or I think about the glass castle. One of the, um, when I was reading that book, uh, one of the things that happens in that book is that, Jeanette makes friends with this girl named Denisha and Denisha, she kind of tells her story a little bit. It's really 
she's a very minor character, but I think she has a very powerful role where Denisha um, ends up asking Jeanette about baby names and they're in high school. So we know that Denisha gets pregnant and then Jeanette mm-hmm. says later that Denisha was arrested because she stabbed her mother's boyfriend to death. So it's oh, like wow. you can kind of put together what had happened to Denisha. And that's right. something that I think is really, really important for my students. And so I kind of jump off that and give the lesson of domestic violence. And uh, one of the projects I do in that class, it, or when I'm teaching the Glass Castle, and I, I teach it to older students. I'm not exactly sure how well sophomores would process this kind of thing. But um, when mm-hmm. I taught seniors and I taught the Glass Castle, um, I did this project about domestic violence awareness. And basically, in Denisha's honor for the injustice that she was given, they have to create a newspaper spread about domestic violence. And so they actually go to the website like the national website for domestic violence, and they have to research all these different things that I have set as requirements. And then they have to display it like it'll be hung up in the school to help other people like Denisha who need the help. And like, that's not the the perception is that I just want them to raise awareness. But really, my goal for it is that if they are ever in a situation in life after high school where people can't protect them anymore, if they're in a dangerous situation, a dangerous relationship, they've already been to the domestic violence website because of my class. And I'm hoping that they'll be able mm-hmm. to at least, if they can't recognize the signs that they're not in a healthy relationship, I hope if they need help, they'll know to go to that website and hopefully seek help and resources or ask a friend for support or something like that. So even if some kids forget about what I taught them in English, I'm hoping that life lessons like that will stick with them, that they'll know how to advocate for themselves if they're ever in trouble after high school. Wow. Wow. That's great. I mean, just tying those in the real life lessons to, you know, not only literature, but to discussions and everything else like that. That's invaluable. I feel like that's, that's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. That's really, I try to do that too. Like in Dear Martin is new for me this year and I'm really excited to see how it goes. But I think that my real purpose in that is just to help students be more self-aware. Like obviously they're going to learn a lot about like overt and covert racism and all these really, really important lessons about the movement that we need to be talking about. But then if there's that student who thinks that like all lives matter or different things like that, I'm hoping that the resources I give them, it just teaches them to reflect and to not be so judgmental and think that they know everything, but just to sit and listen and that and not argue, just listen. And that is exactly what I hope to have happen to where then when they're out of high school, they, if they can't be strong advocates, at least they can just be listeners. And that to me would make a huge difference in changing the world. So that's why I really want to teach Dear Martin. I want to help people be more self-aware. And then also for those students who are black and brown students, I want them to feel like their voice and their stories are heard and they're being told and they're respected and loved and they deserve to tell their stories to other people. So that's really my goal with the life lessons that come out of Dear Martin. 
Man, that's beautiful. And it reminds me, you know, kind of like you're the Zen master in this story that I just read a little while ago or like uh, <laughs> recently. Uh, it, it was is it's an awesome little little Zen fable and it's an archery master with his student. And the student is at a local archery contest and he's showing off and hitting bullseye after bullseye after bullseye. And all the crowds like going crazy and cheering for him. And, um, you know, and he's just like showing off. He's not even looking at the target and just making bullseye after bullseye. And he's looking at his master like, look how good I am. You should be proud of me. And the master is not really impressed. And he's just watching him, you know, calmly. And after everything's over, the student comes up to the master and says, you know, did you see what I was doing? Like you taught me and this is how good I've gotten. And the master calmly replies, you have yet to learn that the target is not the target. Oh, <laughs> I love you know? that. And, and that's cool. I love it too. And, and so, and so that's what I really feel like. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, you're learning, you know, covert and overt uh, racism and, you know, reading and you're increasing reading comprehension skills and all that. Mm -hmm. But at a deeper, you know, level, you're really you know, increasing awareness and helping them become better people and at least, you know, uh, being more so aware of, of what is out there. Right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So, uh, you know, before we, we go, I know you have probably a million things to do. And thank you so much for making time for this episode. Is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to or anything else you'd like uh, listeners to know about you? Um. I, I'm so excited that I was able to be on your podcast. I really have loved spending time talking about all these awesome things. Um, if I could give a little shout out to my family, of course, um, my close friends who know that I was going to be on the podcast and it was my first podcast and they were all so supportive and excited for me. Um, my fiance, Matt, and of course, our dog, Beckett, who I know is just extremely supportive. <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome <laughs> and where can our listeners find you um i am on instagram the fearless english teacher i am also on teachers pay teachers same name the fearless english teacher i'm working on building my pinterest so you could always find me on there and i'm really going to try and shape it up um and then i currently mm -hmm. have a blog in the works that i'm still working on but that's uh www.thefearlessenglishteacher.com Wonderful, wonderful. So all you listeners out there, go check her out. She's doing amazing things in and out of the classroom. And, and we're the honor's all ours to have her here and give, you know, her valuable time, especially valuable time on the weekend to make time <laughs> for an episode. We we really appreciate that. And and thank you again for everything you do, Allie. We really do appreciate everything you're doing out there. Of course. Thank you so much for making this podcast and inviting me. I think it's amazing. Of course. Thank you. The honor is all ours. And it's people like you, you know, that make, I mean, this is probably going to outrank all the other episodes, which is great. You know what I mean? <laughs> Putting this content out there, you know, it's a, it's a long form discussion and, and I hope our listeners can, can gather and learn something. And at least we can, you know, spark some thought and discussions because that's always a good thing. Of course. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Allie. Have a great rest of your day and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, share, and consider leaving a review. It really does help. We make resources for teachers by teachers. Check us out at shiningscholareducation.com and at our Teachers Pay Teachers store as well. We'd love to hear from you, so email us at shiningscholareducation at gmail.com to share any questions or topics you'd like on the show. Thank you for all you do, teachers, and keep changing the world. <laughs>